Good morning. Your scripture reading this morning can be found in your pew Bible on page 1304. Before we get started, I'd like to offer a prayer. Bow your heads. Father, I just thank you so much for all that you do for us. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your scripture. I ask that the scripture be a seed in our heart that help us through those times that we need in these troubled times in our world. And Father, that you are in control of all things and that we let go of those things that are bothering us and bothering other people. Father, I just ask that we always focus on you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Chapter 5, 1 through 15. Everyone who believes that Jesus is Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God and we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is, it in, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood, and the Spirit the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has been, has born concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that this, that, and this, the confidence that we have toward him, that if ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the, the request that we have asked of him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we are continuing our series on prayer, on the prayers that guide us. And so naturally this morning we're going to look at a book uh, in the Bible that actually doesn't mention prayer at all. Uh, In fact, it doesn't even mention God's name explicitly. Uh, Now, why why would we do that? Why would we look at, at this book? Why would we look at Esther which doesn't make mention of prayer or God then, in a series on prayer. Well, the reason is, you've heard, uh, you've probably heard what Billy Graham said one time, I've never seen the wind, right? But I've seen the effects of the wind. 
Well, uh, in Esther, you don't exactly see the wind. God and prayer are never mentioned by name. But you see the effects of both woven all throughout this book. You see the effects of prayer. You see, you see God at work in the life of his people. And so that's why, that's why we're going to be looking at this, uh, this text this morning. We're going to be looking at Esther chapter 4. So you can go ahead and turn to Esther chapter 4. Uh, but before we read that, let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts with your word. Change us, guide us, feed us, help us to look more like Jesus. And it is in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so I don't know when the last time you read the book of Esther was, but here's a little bit of, here's a little bit of context, kind of bring us up to speed, right? Our story in Esther begins with a drunk king. It's a great way to begin any story, right? Someone with ultimate power gets drunk. And then everything else kind of falls out from that. So you have this king, Ahasuerus, who gets drunk. And he calls in his, his queen, Queen Vashti. Wants to parade her in front of all of his people. Well, she has some self-respect. And so she says what any self-respecting woman would say in that situation. And she says, no, I'm not going to do that. Then his advisors come and say, oh man, you can't let her get away with that. People everywhere are going to start disrespecting their husbands you got to banish her. And so he does. Royal decree banishes her out of the kingdom, can't come back, cannot be reversed. Problem is, then he sobers up. And then he says, that was a really bad idea. And now he can't bring her back. So his advisors come again and they say, you know what we should do? We should have a year-long beauty pageant. Get all the prettiest girls in the land and then you can pick one. And so... Enter Mordecai and Esther. Uh, Esther, her parents died when she was young, and so Mordecai, her uncle, raised her. And she was, happened to be one of the girls who was selected to be part of this pageant. And so, uh, so she goes off, and eventually, as you know, the king chooses her. And Esther becomes the next queen. Well, then we enter Haman. And this is the point where if you're telling this if you're telling this story in a Jewish synagogue, everyone starts to boo. You mention Haman, and that's the thing. Everyone boos. Let's try that real quick. So then enter Haman. Boo. Yeah, there you go. So Haman is like, he's like the assistant to the regional manager. You know, he, he gets hungry for power. He wants all of this respect. He, he wants people. He, he makes a proclamation. Everyone's going to bow whenever Haman walks through. But here's the problem. Mordecai knows God's commandments. And do you remember... One of the commandments in Exodus 20. Which one do you think it is? This is going to be a little interactive here. Which, which commandment would you think Mordecai is remembering that says, don't do what? Don't bow down. Don't bow down to anything. Don't bow down to anyone. And Mordecai, who loves God and knows his commandments, guess what he does? He doesn't bow down. Now, you can imagine someone like Haman doesn't take that very well. So he gets enraged. Haman gets enraged, and he determines that he is going to kill every single Jew that he can find. Every single Jew in the kingdom. He's going to find a way to make sure every one of them dies. Man. And that's where we pick up the story. So we're going to be reading in Esther... Starting uh, in chapter 4, verse 1. Let's read. 
When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes. And he went out into the midst of the city, and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hatah, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hatak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hatak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. And then Esther spoke to Hatak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants... And the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. So here we have at this moment in our story we have an entire people who, fa- who are facing extinction. And what is their response? We look at Mordecai, and what does he do? It was right there in verse 1. What does he do? Tears his clothes. He puts on rough clothes, puts on ashes, goes in the middle of the city, starts crying out. Then he makes his way to the king's gate where he knows that somebody will get word to Esther. And it even says that as this decree was going out, There was great mourning among all the Jews, fasting and weeping and lamenting. Now, I know I said that prayer isn't mentioned explicitly in this book. But do you know what always goes along with fasting and weeping and lamenting in Scripture? It's prayer. And lament is a kind of prayer. And fasting is a kind of prayer. It's a way to cry out to your God. And there's always prayer included in these things. So Mordecai then goes to the king's gate where he knows Esther will hear about it. And how does she respond? It says in verse 4, she says, Would you put some clothes on? Would you stop crying out like that? Would you stop making a scene? She doesn't get it. She doesn't even know what's going on. She is so far removed from the life of her people at this point that, that she doesn't have any idea. And so Mordecai even gives her proof and tells the eunuch, Take this proof to her. Show her that... What I'm saying is true. And so the eunuch goes and takes it to Esther. And it actually says Mordecai, command, he says, go and command her to go to the king. Mordecai raised her, right? And it says earlier that she had always obeyed what Mordecai said. So he says, go command her to go to the king. And then all of this gets to her. And she's facing this life-changing decision. And she's looking at it. And she says, I don't know. says, the king hasn't seen me in 30 days. 
And if I go in there, I'm probably going to die. Now, we've all faced life-changing decisions, haven't we? Hard decisions. Sometimes terrifying decisions. And they're not all life or death. But we all face these decisions that have a huge impact on us. Like, what are you going to do when you're deciding on a treatment plan? Now, I love my dog, but I'm not going to try and put you in prison if you insult him. And if you couldn't hear that video, I know it was a little quiet. There is still a king in Thailand, although this king has since passed away. But this was just a few years ago. He insults the king's dog on Facebook, and now he's facing... What do they say? Decades in prison? So there actually are places where this kind of situation really does still come up. Can you imagine how terrifying that would be? Can you imagine just putting something on Facebook? Oh man, doesn't that dog look ugly? And the next thing you know, you're being hauled into a court. And now Esther's looking at this and she's saying, if I go, if I go, I could die. And so we read on. Starting in verse 12. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Mordecai starts talking a little bit about God's providence. Now, what is providence? Uh, An author, G.K. Chesterton, you know, he puts it this way, talking about providence, talking about the way God is involved in our world. He says, it's possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but he's just never gotten tired of making them. It's that providence. It's that God's involvement in every aspect of life. Jesus put it this way. He said, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of far more value than many sparrows. So at this point in our story, Mordecai has been praying, he has been fasting, he is lamenting, and that has all led him into this position of faith in God's providence. And so when Esther responds and says, I don't know if I can do that, what he says is he says, but what if this is God's plan? What if? Now, he doesn't answer. He just says, what if this is the way God, what if this is what God has been leading you to all along? And think about that. Think about God's providence all the way to this point in this story. If Esther hadn't been so beautiful, and if she hadn't matched the king's, the king's idea of beauty, she never would have been chosen. If Esther didn't have an uncle in service to the king, as far removed as she was, she never would have, she never would have heard about this kill order. Here's something for you. If Esther hadn't been an orphan, she would have been immediately identifiable as Jewish. And she would have been marked for death here too. And so Mordecai knows that God is in control. He knows that. And so he comes to her and he says, what if this is God's plan? And then we read on. 
starting in 15. Then Esther <clears throat> told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Now the question is, why does she do this? Because I get to this point, and I think my, my pessimistic side, and the side of me that, that gets really, really focused on the negative sides of things, thinks, well, is that going to make any difference? If I pray, and if I fast, and if I do all these, is that going to make any difference? Uh, one writer for the Gospel Coalition says, we must never presume that God will grant us apart from prayer what he has ordained to grant us only by means of prayer. We must never presume God will grant us apart from prayer what he has ordained to grant us only by, only by means of prayer. So we find these times where we start thinking maybe that our prayers don't matter. And we don't pray because we start to believe that. And we don't fast because we start to believe that. We don't because we start to feel like it doesn't make a difference. But why would these people fast and pray if it didn't make a difference? Why would Esther say, go gather all the people together, fast for this decision, fast for this time that's coming up when I'm going to walk into the king? And I think that this is one of the author's main points that they're trying to drive home in this section, is that God cares that prayer and fasting matters, that it pleases God for us to respond to life-changing decisions by relying on him, by coming to him in prayer and in fasting, that it really does make a difference. Now, as a side note, it's not always the content of our prayers that, that matter. And, and we don't see the words that they pray here. We don't know what words they use, but we know the God to whom they pray. And for us, we know the Spirit who shapes our prayers. We know the Son who intercedes on our behalf. And I wonder, as I'm reading this, I wonder, what is Esther thinking about as she's making this decision? What is she thinking about as she's in fasting and prayer, as she's preparing herself to go to the king? Well, as a young Jewish woman raised by her Jewish uncle, I wonder if she's thinking of Psalm 143. Let me hear your loving kindness in the morning, for I trust in you. Teach me the way in which I should walk, for to you I lift up my soul. Maybe she's thinking of Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Maybe she's thinking of Psalm 143. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. I don't know what she was thinking, but maybe she was thinking of one of those. And then she calls for a fast. And then she says, after these things, she says, Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. And Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. I want you to imagine, just for a second, I want you to imagine that uh, a, a parent teaching their child to get used to the water. And the parent's standing in the water, and the child's standing on the edge. And you've probably heard this, this type of illustration before. <clears throat> and they say... I want you to jump. Well, there's that moment of decision where the, the child has to think, okay, you going to catch me? And there's that moment where the child jumps and leaps into the air in that act of faith. 
Now here's another question though. What if this parent has more in mind than just, I want you to jump and trust me? What if the parent is thinking, I want you to get used to the water, so I'm not just going to catch you and hold you above the water. I'm going to catch you and I'm going to bring you in a little further than you thought you were going to go. And we're going to do this, and I'm going to teach you, and we're going to do this, and I'm going to teach you. And the child just thinks, I'm going to jump, you're going to catch me, it's fun. And the parent is thinking, I'm going to jump, I'm going to catch you, and I have another plan too. Here is Esther facing this life-changing decision, and she doesn't know. She knows she's being asked to jump, but she doesn't know how God is going to catch her. Is he going to catch her above the water? Is she going to catch her and she's going to come in? What is he going to do? She doesn't know. That's why she says, if I perish, I perish. Everything in her life that she sees, hearing Mordecai, she, she, she's fasting now, she's praying, and she's, she, she sees, she's led to believe that maybe, maybe she has been brought to this place to make a difference. Maybe this is the right time. But she doesn't know how God will use her to make a difference. She only knows that she has to obey in faith. And so she says, I will go to the king, and if I perish, I perish. If it is my death that is required for God to glorify his name and to save his people, so be it. If my popularity, if my job, if my preferences, if my opinions must die so that God will be glorified, then so be it. Do we ever say that? Do we think that way? Do we pray that way? when we're facing life-changing decisions, when we're facing the probability of an outcome and we don't know what it is, do we submit to God's will? Do we say, God, if I perish, I perish, but I will, I will submit to your will, I will follow you, I will step out in faith. Now, I don't know how God's going to answer your prayers in your life-changing decisions in these moments that can terrify us. I don't know how he's going to answer your prayers. I wish I could tell you. Wish I could tell you just exactly what he's going to do. I wish I could tell you you're going to get exactly what you're praying for. But I can't. Because like Esther, I don't know how God's going to respond. But that doesn't mean he didn't hear you if you don't get what you wanted. C.S. Lewis reminds us, he says, All prayers are heard, though not all prayers are granted. When the event you prayed for occurs, your prayer has always contributed to it. And when the opposite event occurs, your prayer has never been ignored. It has been considered and refused for your ultimate good and the good of the whole universe. See, in our prayer and in our fasting, whether we're facing terrifying life and death decisions like Esther, or whether we're facing the routine things of life, we still must submit our will to God's will. Trusting that however he answers, he loves us. He cares for us. When we grieve, he grieves with us. When we have joy, he is the source of our joy. He is the source of our comfort. And when we submit our will to our Heavenly Father, we are in good company. We're in the company of a Savior, whose scripture says, withdrew from his disciples about a stone's throw on the night that he was betrayed. And he prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then he prayed it again. And then he prayed it again, saying, God, if there's another way, let's do the other way. And then he said, but not my will, but yours. 
And he prayed like this until his sweat was like drops of blood falling onto the ground. And he submitted to his father's will. And he went willingly to the cross. And at the cross, that's where God took the greatest evil that mankind has ever committed and turned it into the greatest victory that we have ever seen. And through the cross, he brought us life. Now for Esther, well, if you haven't read it, I'll just let you read the rest of that to see what God does through her and through her life. And for us, we don't know what's going to happen in these decisions. We don't know what's going to happen in these moments. But when we face these, it's a good time to fast and to pray and to cry out to God and then to trust God and to take wise action. And when he answers our prayers the way that we hope, we can rejoice. We can accept with joy that answer from our Father. And when he doesn't answer the way that we hope, We have to remember that if God can take the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and he can turn that into our good and the good of the whole universe, then surely he can take our pains. He can take our sorrows. And from them he can bring something good that will cause us and others to grow more in love with him. Can't he? Let's pray. Father, as we come to you in prayer, as as each of us faces challenges and decisions in life. We ask that you would guide us in our prayers. We ask you that you would guide us in our fasting. And we ask that you would shepherd our hearts to submit to your will. 